Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and I'm here with a very good friend of mine, Dr. Cindy Courtney. Welcome to Central Line. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you all for having me. This is super exciting. And what's even more exciting is that we are in the same room. So this is not a trick of the camera. We are in the same room in a hotel room at the Weston Point set in Greenville, South Carolina. We're here for the Uncharted Conference. And um, it's just really, it's a privilege to be able to talk to you in person about something that I know you're so passionate about and that you've introduced a lot of people to um, over the last year. So very excited about that all that. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, but I'm excited to be talking about it too. Anytime you give me a chance to talk about jerks, I'm excited. See, <laughs> I love that because who says that? I know. Like, I'm kind of weird. Yeah, people try to avoid talking about jerks, but you can actually make a career out of talking about jerks. Most people also try to avoid talking about abscesses, but we're veterinarians, so we're weird. That's true. Yes. I mean, there's a, I have met a couple of vet techs who don't actually like abscesses. They do exist. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I feel like we're we're an abscess-friendly population. I've so. also met people who don't like chocolate, so... Well, true. Yeah. Snow no accounting for taste. Kinds. It yeah. takes all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cheesecake. That's kind of universal. <laughs> Are those your any universals? <laughs> if there's one thing we've learned in the last two years, it should be that there's no universals. I just never learned this lesson. Anyway. Well, I'm, it, it is, I'm universally glad to see you. And um, I was wondering before we get going into the meaty topic that we're going to talk about today, if you would mind introducing yourself to our listeners, if they haven't met you before, what it is you do, and how you came to be sitting in this chair. Sure, yes. So again, I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney, um, and I am both a practicing small animal veterinarian, as well as the founder of The Jerk Researcher, which is a workplace conflict consultancy. So in I, on the one hand, I guess during the day, I have help patients and clients just like like you all and then I also uh, help people who are dealing with toxic team members at work helping prevent and, and cope with those behaviors and kind of how I came to that is I was the toxic team member at my first practice overwhelmed with the stress of being a new graduate and was fortunate enough to have both a team who didn't just kick me out on my butt um, and also the the dorky propensity to dive into peer-reviewed research. And as Love we it. made our way through <laughs> that, I realized uh, I had colleagues who were going through something similar and, and the ability to help them. Yeah, I love that, and I, I this is so characteristic of why I love you, which is because you found out something about yourself that many people would have sort of gone into dial, or they would have said, you know, screw this, I don't need this, and instead you were like, okay, what can I find out about this problem that is me and a lot of other people that I can use to help myself and everyone else, and you've done that. And also, you're like the peer-reviewed research queen. Like, I know if I need a source for something, I can be like, I'm going to call Cindy because um, because you usually have your finger on the pulse of that. So um, I love that. I love that story, the origin story, the well, jerk researcher. You. So um, I, I the other thing that you've done is you've read a metric ton of books, like a lot of books. And this is Cindy, one of Cindy's superpowers, is that if you have a topic you want to know about, and you're looking for some reading on it, she will usually have a recommendation. So hit her up. But I was wondering if you have like one book that 
you wish everybody in the vet profession or, you know, the world could read? Oh my goodness. Well, the, the everybody in the world list is about <laughs> 10 books long, but yeah. there is one book that ever since I read it, I keep wanting to refer it to people in the veterinary profession. And that book is Set Boundaries, Find Peace mm. by Nedra Glover-Tawab. She is a, a licensed therapist and specializes in relationships. That book is just fantastic at talking about both when it's important to set boundaries, but also when we can sometimes make boundaries that are overly rigid and yeah. can sometimes don't serve us and describes how we can go about doing that both uh, in our personal lives, but also within our work life. And yeah, half of the Facebook posts I see in veterinary Facebook groups, I'm like, I think you might want this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this book will help. Well, and boundaries are such a hot topic now too, yeah. you know, like everyone's talking about boundaries, but we don't often talk about what happens when you can set boundaries that are a little too rigid right. and close doors off that otherwise might make you feel pretty good or really help somebody um, that will, and that in turn will make you feel good. Um, so I'll, I'll link to that book in the show notes because um, Nedra Tawab, I follow her on Instagram um, and really love that content. So I'm sure yeah. the book is good. I haven't read it. So I got to read that. It's fantastic. It's on the list. Okay. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so as we have talked about earlier, mm -hmm. you research jerks for a living, which is pretty amazing. And so I would consider you an expert on jerks. I don't know if that's good or not, <laughs> but um, I feel like a lot of people would say, you know, once they know that about you, they would say, okay, Cindy, why are there so many jerks running around right now? Because it does seem like we hear about more jerky behavior now than like ever before. Do you think that there are actually more jerks around now or do you think that's a perception thing? Yeah. So I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Mm -hmm. So when you look into civility researchers and what they're actually saying, they're saying like, no, measurably behavior that we, we don't want to see aggressive or violent behaviors are actually occurring more often. And they're looking into to why those behaviors are happening. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But we are also more likely to come into contact with people in ways that make conflict happen. Mm -hmm. And when conflict happens, we have some human biases that make us a little bit more likely to see the person we're in conflict with as a jerk. And I kind of call that the jerk shortcut. Mm. And the at the heart of that is this thing called the fundamental attribution error, which is like, if things aren't going the way we want, we try and figure out why. And especially when someone else is involved and we think they've behaved badly, we have kind of two choices. So we either think, well, is it the situation they're involved in or is it kind of who they are as a person? And we tend to be more likely to attribute it to who they are as a person, mm. even when we know things about the situation that they're facing. And that's the opposite of what we do for ourselves. When it comes to ourselves, we know a lot about the situation. And so we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And that also applies to groups. So like the more similar someone seems to us, usually the more likely we are to understand the situation that they're in, the more likely we are to give them the benefit of the doubt. And so as we bring more people than ever together who are both ideologically and culturally diverse, um, we have different standards of what behavior makes you a jerk or not, right? And so we kind of disagree on like, okay, that thing you just did, 
you probably thought it was fine, but I think that it was obviously a problem. And so if I believe that that's just part of your character, then I'm going to think you're a jerk, right? And so so as we mix people up, and if we don't have good perspective-taking skills and we don't have that good cultural understanding or a good way to repair conflict, we're more likely to fall into that jerk shortcut and to think the other person is a jerk. We also, I, I tend to think of conflict in the same way we tend to think of like itching or seizures as having a kind of activation energy that we all have the potential for conflict and that the more things going on for us, mm. the more likely we are to reach that threshold where we're going to engage in conflict. Yeah. And goodness knows that over the past couple years... We've had some stuff going on. There's been some stuff. Some stuff. You know, it's weird because... Not that I've enjoyed it, but there's been a lot of space to do jerk research over the past couple years. Yeah, so, it's been an so, opportunity. Yeah. yeah Good so. opportunity. <laughs> I mean, at least, <laughs> at least something has to come out of it, right? right? It's like you can learn a lot about jerks, or at least jerk behavior. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, I, you know, of course, your brain, when you hear that, your brain immediately starts rewinding over all the interactions you've had where you could have potentially been perceived as a jerk where you gave yourself the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm picturing a couple of specific situations right now. So, yeah, that attribution bias is so true, and we are seeing so many people in situations of high stress, so that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And, and I, you know, perception is so important, but sometimes reality means we have to use the perception a little bit differently, I guess. Like, yeah, so I, I think if, if our goal is to have a different outcome. Mm. Sometimes we need to understand that people can see things differently or that our own perspective may not be the total truth so that we can address the problem. Yeah. So we can find our way to the outcome we want rather than focusing as much on the exact process that we're comfortable with. Yeah, makes sense. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today, it's coming up on a year now since you wrote an article for Trends Magazine, for AHA's, um, it's a members-only magazine, but I believe this was an article that everyone could access. At least initially. I'm not yeah. sure if it still I, is. I, I don't know. I think know. it may be now limited just to yeah. members. Yeah, but we'll link to it. If you're an AHA member, you'll definitely be able to take a look at it. If not, you should consider becoming one because it's a great benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, and you can become an individual member of AHA. I don't know if a lot of people know that. You don't yeah. have to be at an AHA practice to be a member. But I love this article so much, and it got a lot of attention when it came out, deservedly so. Um, I'm going to read the title here. It was... Client Expectations, Rights, and Responsibilities, Setting Client Expectations to Protect Practice Culture. And I read it thinking I knew what it was going to be about, and it was not what I expected. It was so much different and so much better. Like, I thought it was just going to be sort of, like, recommendations for how to, you know, think about clients a little differently, you know, like we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. But this was actually something really different. It was really about making sure that clients know what's expected of them and their behavior, as well as them having expectations about what our behavior is going to be. Exactly. And I love that. Thank you. Can you talk about what motivated you to write this? Yeah. So um, I think as we were just talking about, you know, one of the things that's important when it comes to conflict is, you know, what we think is okay, right? So if 
I perceive what you're doing is not okay, or you perceive is what I'm doing is not okay, we're, we're more likely to be confused, we're more likely to engage in conflict. Um, but that's not an insurmountable problem. Like mm-hmm. we have many situations where, you know, you walk into a new place and you don't know what the etiquette is, but they can tell you. And then if we're all on the same page, we know how to interact in a civil way. And so I stumbled across a patient rights and responsibilities document at my local human hospital. And I was so impressed by it. And I thought like, oh my gosh, this is something that we need. And and it was exactly that. It really focused not only on what I was expected to do and not do as a patient, which was very comforting actually, because I wanted to be a good patient, right? I want to be the good one, right? (laughs) but I don't always know what I am and am not allowed to ask or am and am not allowed to do. Like we kind of forget that when you're on that other side, it can be really intimidating. Yeah. So I, I was able to know what I should do, what my obligations were. So I knew that I was expected to take my treatment once I agreed to do it. I was expected to show up on time. I was expected to provide them with my financial information and pay my bills. But I could also expect certain things of them. So I could expect to be treated with respect. I could expect them to answer my questions. I could decline care if I wanted to. So instead of it feeling like that sign that says, just treat us nicely or else, it felt much more like a mutual agreement. And so I thought that would be something that potentially could work really well for us in the veterinary space as well. I love that because I've seen the same thing. Like I spent a lot of time in hospitals this year, unfortunately. And so, you know, looking at this little sign in the doctor's office in the waiting room, I never noticed that sign before. And I don't know if the doctors I've been to have always had that sign or if it's new, Mm -hmm. but of course I noticed it because I had read your article and I was thinking about that. And it was nice to have sort of a, a clarification of what my experience should be like, mm-hmm. what it should feel like for me and what it should feel like for them. Mm-hmm. And um, it it always has kind of graded on me a little bit to see the signs that say, you know, please be kind, because then I'm like, am I being kind? Like, is what I just said kind? Like, that's not an expect, that's not a an itemized <laughs> list of right. what being kind means. Yeah. And some people actually will have different definitions of what that is and so having those expectations spelled out I think is really really cool so yeah I I love the article and um, I was wondering if you could sort of give an example because I know people are thinking now about like okay what would I put in such a document could you give some examples of what practices might want to put in this sort of code of conduct yeah and so um, there are definitely a couple that tend to come up over and over again. So when I talk about this, I usually poll the audience to, to figure out what their top concerns are, the problems that keep coming up as conflicts with clients over and over again. And the ones that come up the most are generally going to be what is polite behavior? Like, so let's avoid verbal abuse and any physical (laughs) abuse. So that comes up over and over. Um, Financial expectations, especially about payment um, Mm -hmm. at time of service. And we know what that means. Does a client know what at time of service means? Right. And then uh, concerns around timeliness and, and clients showing up on time. So I usually encourage practices to think about what are they having conflicts with clients about regularly and maybe picking you know, three at most because we don't want this document to get super long mm-hmm. to address. 
Okay. So those are some, some top ones that I see addressed most often. Yeah, absolutely. And I was wondering too, you know, um, thinking about some of the interactions that I've seen, um, treating people with respect that also can seem nonspecific. It shouldn't seem nonspecific to anyone, I feel like, but it seems like some people think it's okay to treat certain people one way and then other people a different way. I mean, maybe this is human nature and we've been constantly like evolving past that human nature. I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, we definitely do seem to treat people who we view as equal to us in certain ways. Like, I hate, we all hate it when we see somebody being rude to somebody at the client care desk. Yeah. And then in the room, they're super nice to the veterinarian yeah. because they may feel like they're above certain team members in a certain way, which is, of course, as we know, ridiculous because we need all these team members to make an interaction good. Mm-hmm. But if people don't feel like they need to be nice, then how do we like how do we define what that means treating somebody with respect yeah and so i think it can be really helpful to paint a picture for people as as much as possible so i think storytelling is something that's really you know a very human condition mm-hmm. and so when we sit down and we say like what does nice look like to us? Like, what do great client interactions look like? When somebody was patient with us, when we were running late, what were the things that they did that felt good? Mm -hmm. Um, We can sit down and if you sit down and you think about it, you can start recognizing those things. So we can say like, okay, they just sat quietly. Um, They checked in every five minutes. You know, we can start articulating what those things were and those patterns that we see that define what nice means to us. And one of the things that, again, is frustrating about the subjectivity of civility is like, that's going to be different in every practice. Yeah. So I'd love to be able to sit here and say like, okay, well, here's, yes. here's the, code of, the code of conduct right. for all of you. Right. Yeah. But I, you know, I talk with people who are all over North America. And so when I talk with somebody who's in Manhattan and somebody who's in Kansas City, like, yeah, what nice looks like may look really different. Like sometimes being really blunt and just telling, like saying up front, like, hey, I have an appointment in five minutes. I got to go. Yep. Like, just saying that right away. That might be what looks like nice to some practices yeah. versus others would just say, like, you know, hey, talk in a calm uh, even tempered voice mm. like so what that looks like may look really different to different practices and again I think I'm probably going to emphasize this a lot during this podcast but hold your team to that same expectation that you're holding your clients to because it will not feel just or fair if mm. you're coming out to them and you're in a big hurry and you're stressed and you're speaking quickly and sharply to them and you want them to take a slow calm tone with you. So yeah. just making sure that's something that the, the whole group can get on board with. For sure. I have to think that that extends maybe to talking amongst, you know, with other team members about clients as well, because I feel like that kind of fosters that impatience with them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking negatively about clients amongst each other, um, that that's always been something that is very hard to avoid, but definitely seems to set a certain tone. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. And again, falling into the jerk shortcut, right? Like yeah. when we don't understand yeah. the complete reason why a client is doing something, I think it's easy for us to fall into that that category of, of the blame and the labeling and calling someone a jerk. And, and I often talk about, and 
I think this fits well into this topic because we're talking about setting expectations for clients. And, and again, that's a boundary, right? Yeah. And so when we have boundaries we that are, are there to protect us and we know that they are ours and they are in line with what is important to us or is in line with what's important to our practice, then those things don't necessarily have to be important to other people. We don't have to get into a judgment zone about them right? because it, it, it's kind of irrelevant. So it's like, okay, yeah, you we can tell that that's really important to you and that's okay. And our boundaries are here. And so if you choose you can play within those boundaries. And if it's important to you to do something different, that's okay too, but you can't do it here. So you would say that it's an important question that I hadn't even thought to ask you for some weird reason, which is what happens when you have clients who get, who receive this code of conduct or see it on the wall or in the waiting room or whatever, and just absolutely don't abide by it right. like maybe it's not in a really egregious way like maybe somebody didn't make a super disrespectful mark remark to someone but they just don't seem to view those expectations as applying to them in some way um how how do you deal with that like say they just um don't take your recommendations and then you know get upset because things aren't getting better this is like a conversation you have over and over right so so one i would keep in mind that like again if we're asking people to set in their code of conduct, things that they're having conflict about over and over again, usually if we're having conflict, it's because we're having negative emotions. And it's usually having negative emotions because something that's important to us is threatened or are, we have needs that aren't being met. So like these things are important to us. That's why we're having conflict about it. Mm. And so the idea that if we have a client who's coming in and is saying like, I just don't care. <laughs> Like these, these don't apply to me. That says to me, like this client is probably not a great fit for your practice, yeah. right? And so in the same way that if we had a team member who, you know, if punctuality is super important to our practice because we have clients, you know, we're in a busy city and we have clients who need to be on time to their meetings and punctuality is really important to us. And we have a team member who thinks the rules about punctuality don't apply to them. What's that going to do to the culture of our practice over the long term? Right. The same thing here. You know, the how our clients are allowed to treat our team is going to influence how our team, whether our team believes that we mean what we say. So, so I think when we have violations to the code of conduct, I don't think we need to jump straight to being like, you're fired. You are no longer <laughs> a client here. Yeah. But I, I think it's a good opportunity to say like, hey, objectively here's what happened so i saw that we made this recommendation and i saw that you declined it you came back two weeks later and you expressed frustration about uh, your pet's care as part of our code of conduct we discussed that um you know you you have the option to de decline care and and have a full statement of what the benefits and downsides of declining care are you you chose that path so we're a little confused and if if this isn't the way you want to proceed then we may need to find an, a practice that's a better fit for you mm -hmm. um yeah. which sometimes will kind of shock some right. clients into saying oh like i they may not realize that they were right. playing a part in why this didn't work out. Right. Because a lot of times people just don't know that. Like right. you said, you know, things happen. You know, your yeah. life gets busy. And I really like that because the code of conduct sort of gives you 
a document to refer back to mm -hmm. um, to say, hey, we both read this this code. We both agreed on this mm -hmm. by you coming here. Yeah. And that gives you a reference to say, I don't think these expectations are being met. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like I can think of times I've made mistakes where I've apologized to clients because I felt like I didn't treat them the way I would want to be treated. Right. And it would it would have been a lot easier for me to do that if I'd said, our code of conduct says this, you can expect this from me, and I didn't deliver that, and mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was harder to do it in an abstract way. Right. You know, I think it would have been a lot easier to be like, refer back yeah. <laughs> in my brain. Yeah. Like, okay, I did not do this. It's kind of like when we talk about people having core values or practices right. having core values, like you can refer back to those mm -hmm. as a sort of light lighthouse, you right. know. Um, so that's, that's very cool. Do you know practices that are actually employing codes of conduct? So I had a, a chance to talk with one of our um, fellow Uncharted members, Chelsea, the other day, mm -hmm. um, and, and Chelsea was talking about how they um, had implemented a code of conduct and interesting responses from their clients, and, and one that is consistent with what I've heard before with some of the more um, kind of statements about how we want our team members to be treated, um, that, you know, clients often the first response is not one of defensiveness, but is one of sympathy, is, hey, I know this is probably coming out for a reason, and I'm yeah. sorry that you guys have gone through this. Yeah. Um, and I know sometimes people are worried that there's going to kind of be a backlash, but but often that's that's the main response. Um, in talking to, to other teams, uh, some some, especially those who may have felt like the practice wasn't standing up to protect the team before mm -hmm. have expressed gratitude for managers who will go out and say like okay here is what what we're going to do going forward mm -hmm. um, I certainly have been part of a practice where we could have used some clarity around what was and it wasn't okay because our super compassionate team members were trying to you know give clients the benefit of the doubt so yeah. much that we even once had a client say well, you know, I work for a three-letter agency and I have a concealed carry and if my pet doesn't get better and the, the team member didn't know what to do. Oh. And so so having some clear guidelines around like these things aren't okay empowers them to also then come to leadership and, and do something about it, to have know that they are empowered to, yeah. <laughs> to be protected and to take some action. I, I, like I will that. I will say I think the ones that are out there right now are probably trending more on the side of the you know, single page, here's what not to do. I would love to see more kind of air on the, the mutual side. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think that's such a key aspect of it because like I was talking to um, a friend here yesterday who said that um, their partner or associate, I can't remember, had gotten these stickers like sometime during the pandemic um, mm -hmm. and they said like, you know, please be kind or something like that or like we expect kindness, please mm -hmm. treat our staff with respect mm -hmm. and stuck the stickers at the bottom of all these, of the invoices uh -huh. and everybody thought that it was just for them because it was just a sticker, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to put this sticker only on the invoices of the people that were a jerk to me Oh my gosh. and so they got real offended and I could see that being something where like people see this and they're like, like, do they think I've been a jerk or, right. you know, how dare they, you know, right. preach at me about how I should behave. But when it's mutual right. and you're saying you can expect this from us and, and the implication is that we know we're human too and mm -hmm. sometimes we'll not be perfect. Right. I love that. Right. I love that. Um, that it's quid pro quo in a good way. Um, and so I was wondering too, like, 
I've seen some practices who have been putting up signs, which I love, on their windows mm-hmm. or in their waiting room that, um, you know, are talking about all, everyone is welcome here. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to be as inclusive as possible. Right. Um, and I know that there are many practices that would like to do that, mm-hmm. but are afraid to or right. concerned about how their clientele will react. Right. Um, and I, I find that so sad. And so it's heartbreaking to think about, like, how many people are afraid to put like a rainbow sticker in their window because of how someone will react. And I could see them wanting to put statements about inclusivity and respect for everyone in their client code of conduct, which seems like it should be the right to do. Mm -hmm. But there are probably people who are pretty concerned about how that would land. Mm -hmm. Do you have responses to that? Like, you know, I can see clients coming in and saying, like, oh, I see you got taken over by the woke mob, you know. How how can people respond to that and follow their hearts about what they really want to say to clients? Right. I feel like it's I a have... a big question. Yeah, it's a really big question. It's a really big question. So so I have a couple, a couple thoughts that initially come to mind. So one is that being an advocate is not easy. For sure. That... Being a real advocate and a real ally comes with a price. And I think to some degree, when we choose to do that in an authentic way, I think we have to realize that and and choose to accept that price. Um, And when we live in a world where the cost of not taking that action is injustice, pain, illness, death, I think we all end up in a position where we we have to choose how far we go down that road. Because I think to some degree, most of us can never go far enough. Yeah. I mean, I frankly look at my own house and I say like, I live in Kansas. This was indigenous land. It was stolen from people. Um, Am I like I am probably not going to sell my house tomorrow and give that land back to indigenous people. What but what can I do? What can I do today to be a better advocate? And what risk am I willing to take to do that? And so I think that's an important question for those teams to ask, especially because one presumes that they're doing that in part for the benefit of their team. Yeah. And so if we are worried about making our clients mad is our employees existence going to be making our clients mad and what are we willing to do about that so so I think in some ways it's taking the same problem and just being proactive about it Mm -hmm. instead of waiting for our team members to be the victims of that very same problem so so I think that's one part of that um the other thing I think that is worth talking about when um, we talk about like this idea of like, well, why are why would something like this be necessary, or like why are these kinds of things even necessary? Shouldn't we all just be able to be kind to one another without having to say anything about yes, it? Yes, right? good point. Yeah. Um, and so I think your your question about like the woke mob, right? Like, so if yeah. someone's like, why do you need a code of conduct? Shouldn't we just all know to be nice and like this is yeah. just the so I, I think in some ways the idea that that phrase 
implies that there are two groups of people who believe different things about what it is and isn't kind, right? Right. And so sometimes it can be kind to be clear and to say, you know, yes. here are the things that we expect here. And again, you're welcome. Like, if those things make sense to you, you are welcome to be here and be involved with us here. And if that's not, if that's not your thing, that's okay. We're not going to sit here and intentionally, like, tell you you are a terrible person right but we also like know that this is the culture and the community that we're trying to build and if that's not your jam then you're probably not going to be happy or comfortable here yeah that's so great and because what you're saying is you're phrasing this in a non-judgmental way Mm -hmm. even if we're secretly judging people who don't want to be inclusive and treat all of our team members the same way like I think there's always an an, you know an urge to do that Mm -hmm. but you're saying this is how we practice. This mm-hmm. is this is what we're expecting and mm-hmm. what we want to be surrounded by. And we, you know, if it doesn't apply to you, mm-hmm. if this is not what you want to be surrounded by, mm-hmm. then, you know, we'll happily facilitate you going someplace that fits your ideals better, mm-hmm. which is a non-judgmental way of phrasing that right you know and that's so it's a subtle change really when you think about it the language can be just subtly different um but i think that's so important um because that's where the anger comes from right is people feeling judged and Mm -hmm. people feeling like their way of life is is being judged Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah that's um that's very very i think it's an idea of like People are welcome, mm-hmm. and it's very clear and transparent, like yeah. what this is, as yeah. opposed to these are the people we are excluding. Yeah, like I think that that's a difference. Yes, um, if you are welcome and you know what the guidelines are and you're choosing to be there or not, versus saying like these are people that we are actively trying to exclude. Yeah, I think the other piece of this is that we can't make everybody happy. Like. Yeah. My grandpa. Much as we all want to. That would be great, yes. wouldn't it? Just... Life would be so easy. <laughs> Actually, it wouldn't. It would be horrible. It would be kind of boring. Yeah, it would. I'm thinking of, like, my kids watch Trolls a lot these days. But um, <laughs> I was just, like, happy. Um, but, you know, even in the Trolls movie, there's drama. So my, my grandfather used to always say, so you can either have aggravation or you can have loneliness. And in the case of veterinary practices, I think, you know, we're always going to have some conflict mm-hmm. um, or we're going to have no clients <laughs> that's problematic yeah you know, we're never going to have uh, a, a group that is going to be completely happy with all the things that are important to us um, we're never going to be able to make 100% of the clients who might consider us happy with that and if we don't talk to them ahead of time about what is important to us again that conflict is just going to hit us down the road and so we're not, we kind of worry about, are we creating a conflict by talking about it? I, I would argue instead what we're doing is is hopefully sometimes preventing it, mm. but because by putting this up, you know, on our website, introducing it to people, they have that possibility to, to choose and to say like, oh, okay, that isn't a good fit for me. I'm going to choose to go somewhere else. Or we can be more proactive about that instead of waiting for it to simmer and fester and become something bigger later down the, the road um, where we have that confusion or miscommunication about what was and wasn't appropriate. So so our goal here is is not that we can completely eliminate conflict or that we can get everybody happy with us, but to to 
steer away from some conflict and to make conflict less severe when it does happen. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And it, quite honestly, like, are those the clients you want to attract? The ones who are going to have fundamental problems with what you think is really, really important. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I think many of us as young clinicians probably wanted that, wanted to make everybody happy. And yeah. I hope a lot of us have reached peace with that. And, yep. and I know all kinds of reasons that clients have chosen not to see one person or another. And are we going to change every time we get a negative piece of feedback? No, we're going to we're going to stick with our values. And yes, if we get feedback that is inconsistent, if we're like, gosh, you know, it's really important to me to be kind and even tempered and that's not how a client is experiencing me, like we're going to take that feedback seriously, but if somebody says, you know, hey, it's I don't want to go to a practice where somebody is is wearing a necklace with a religious symbol on it um, that for most people that's going to be a, a deal breaker where they're like okay I'm not going to change that about myself I'm still going to express that right yeah absolutely and that puts it all out in the open to yeah. say this is what this is who we are mm -hmm. and we want to be this we want to provide this service for you so mm -hmm. you can expect that of us right. and then clients can choose to accept it or not right. love that yeah we also talk at AHA a lot about team members, yeah. you know, um, not just veterinarians, not just practice owners and managers, but all team members being able to take part in some of the things that we talk about here. Right. And I know that there are a lot of really amazing, awesome people with ideas and motivation and desires to go out and change the world mm -hmm. who are listening right now or watching. Um, and you and I have both been those people who we've been like, yes, I want to try this and I want to do this. And I have this great new idea I picked up yeah. at a conference or on a podcast. And then you go back to your practice and it's like, wah, 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 you know? Yeah. And it's like, Maybe management thinks it's a good idea, but they're not going to spend the time or resources to implement mm -hmm. it or whatever reason. Right. So say those people are listening right now and they think, okay, I don't think my practice is ready to hear this, but I want to start planting the seed of this idea. Right. How would you recommend that somebody do that? Yeah. So, so one, I think one, one piece that is really important um, is communicating to, to leaders and planting that seed by communicating to them that getting client civility especially is not just important for the other team members which you know we know our mental health and we know our physical health is important but sometimes in the heat of practice it can feel like not the most important thing right right but but we do this whole work for the patients yeah and there are studies out there um in particular um some studies studies by riskin out of uh, some practices in in israel that did controlled studies of NICU training teams, and they found that the teams exposed to rude feedback versus neutral feedback, including from a patient's parent, significantly decreased the diagnostic and treatment performance of that team. And so we know that this has an impact on patients. And so if the whole reason we're doing this is to help our patients, and we know that this can serve our patients, that can sometimes be the seed to get a practice owner who doesn't see this as something firm or something hard to potentially start considering it. The other thing I would tell them is that whether or not it gets codified, there are things in your practice that informally you all probably know are okay or not okay. So so one thing you can do is you might start just sketching it out for yourself and like mm. writing it down for your own mind. And you can set expectations for clients where you can 
try a new way of saying like, hey, and just to give you a heads up, this is going to be the, the payment plan or this is going to be our payment options or hey, just to give you a heads up, you know, our doctor is running about 30 minutes behind today and like doing those things to help set expectations ahead of time or to make those personal commitments you can make to a client. So if you're letting them know what to expect, but you can say, but but I can assure you that I'm going to you know make sure I come back and give you an update in five minutes. Um, you can do those things on an individual level and you don't necessarily have to wait for the whole practice to do it. And if they see that clients are really enjoying that, it may serve as a kind of trial run for, for doing something bigger. That is fantastic advice. I, I, I have a doctor, um, a sports medicine doctor whose um, office, like their reception desk behind it, they have a list of all the doctors who are on service that day. Mm-hmm. Um, they have little plaques that slide in, you know, yeah. and then they'll put next to them if they're running behind. Yeah. So you come in and before you even talk to a single person, yeah. you can see if your doctor is running 15 minutes late or 20 minutes late, and then they don't have to tell you, yeah. but you can say, do you have, you know, you can ask them, like, do you have any idea when he's going to be ready or whatever, but um, you've already had that expectation set before you even open your mouth. And I feel like that just has to help so much. Like, I was like, I wonder if we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> because just that expectation being clear, like you said, you know, Clear is kind, and people don't want to be, um, they don't want the truth fudged for them. They yeah. want to just know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. I, you know, and I feel like, so I tend to run late in appointments. Same. Um, and I am very thorough. And, and like, I have had my team members tell clients, they'll be like, she tends to run a little late, but she tends to be really thorough. And, and yeah. I know many veterinarians who know that about themselves. And then they just attract the clientele that is okay with that. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, bend over backwards trying to be something that we something specific that we think a veterinary needs to be when sometimes what we need to do is to set expectations so that people can make an informed choice about what it is that they want yeah they know when it's their turn they'll get your full attention yeah yeah love it yeah dr cindy courtney thank you so much i feel like we could just talk and talk and talk so i'm gonna just cut us off now because we could just keep going forever i could talk to you about anything um and i know you would have a book about it to (laughs) refer me to so maybe we'll have a part two where you can refer me to another book but i'm gonna go check out that one about boundaries because boundaries are something we all need a little help with yeah so yeah uh, thank you so much it's great talking to you and i hope the audience enjoys Me too. And we'll put links to some of those resources in the show notes, as well as um, where we can reach Dr. Cindy. Where can they get a hold of you if they want to know more about you? Uh, These days, I'm most active on Instagram at The Jerk Researcher, but they can also find me at LinkedIn um, and on Facebook. Uh, Again, The Jerk Researcher. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.